0: And it's uh, apparently true, though uh, Nick was kind enough not to tell me that the first time he met me, uh, he didn't particularly think he would like to hang out with me a great deal. Uh, but God, I think, has ways of getting things done even despite our own inclinations. And uh, I was paired up with Nick uh, at a program called M- uh, Arrow," as I guess you could call uh, forget what the exact word was, but sort of "Compadre's in the journey." And uh, do you know what? In Nick and Christy, you have an amazing uh, couple. And uh, like they're an amazing couple with a heart for God, a heart for people, a couple that's genuine and lives with integrity. And, you know, there's something beautiful about a leader in a life that isn't, doesn't fake it, but recognizes that, you know, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the, the guidance and the comfort and the revelation of His Word, without the community, can I tell you, we're nothing. See, the, the call that God has put on our heart, put on the church of God, is too much for you or I to walk in by ourselves. Too, too much. As a matter of fact, and this is, I guess, the root of uh, the name of uh, the church I, I lead in, Cambridge Divergent Church, because it's a bit of a weird, a weird name and we only transferred or changed to it a while ago. People are like, did, <clears throat> did that come from a movie, Josh? And the answer is no, actually. We got the dot-com years ago, but it does come from john 18:36 where the the jews of course were expecting a messianic kingdom where the messiah would rise in political and military might and vanquish the romans and jesus asked you know why doesn't he respond in this way and he says my kingdom is a different kingdom if it were of this earth my disciples would fight But the reality is we are part of a different kingdom, a kingdom of the Spirit, a kingdom of love, joy, and peace in the Spirit, a kingdom that's not of this world. And it doesn't mean we just don't fight. In actual fact, it means we don't respond in the way the rest of the world would respond. When persecuted, we don't respond with anger. We respond with prayer. When we suffer, we respond and it feels contrary to the flesh because it is. We can respond with a joy that passes all understanding because the king we serve doesn't sit on a political throne. The kingdom we believe in is not one of politics. And of course, uh, yourself in Yass, I'm sure people interact with Canberra quite a lot. People seem to mix up politics and the kingdom of God, I find, quite a lot. They think if we can only pass this law or get this government in power, then somehow the kingdom of God will flourish. Can I tell you, rarely is that case the case, in actual fact, history would show us that often when there is a Caesar or a Nero in power, that's when the kingdom does the best. Because we are reminded that the circumstances around us do not define us. We are a divergent kingdom, a different kingdom. We are a different people that don't respond. When sick, as you've been faced with, can I tell you, we don't respond with hopelessness. We have a hope that even walks through the valley... And yes, we believe for healing, but can I tell you, faith is not just about what we believe for, it's about what we believe through. And sometimes we can sit in the midst of the darkness and we have this one revelation, this one knowledge that Christ is with us. And even when we feel alone, when we feel like we're in the struggle, we know there is one who has gone before us. There is one who has paid the price. There is one who declares victory. And 1 Corinthians 15, and I always hold on to this a lot because I think we do sometimes misquote this verse a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the second coming of Jesus or the consummation of the kingdom says, then, can I tell you, then we will say, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Now, I want you to catch just for a moment. It's a future tense on a certain level because he has conquered death. But sometimes we work through a journey that death still stings us. It does. Let's be straight up. And I'm not just talking about literal death. I'm talking about the, the struggles we go through in relationships, the impact of sin itself. And so sometimes we walk in valleys, we walk in ways where we still feel the sting. But we have a hope because He has risen. He has conquered death that one day it does not matter what happens to us, whether individually or as a family or as a community, We will say, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? That resurrection is an inevitable outcome, even of the greatest struggles we follow. Many years ago, uh, I got married, 15 years ago now, and uh, my wife and I went to the Gold Coast. We were gifted, actually, with a penthouse apartment. I had paid up uh, for our accommodation, and then uh, my wife's grandfather was working for a very wealthy individual as his personal accountant. And we were gifted with a penthouse apartment on the Gold Coast for two weeks. And I was like, boom, cancel all that other accommodation. Not only do I save a fair bit of money, but we get a free apartment. That was like, and a penthouse apartment. I mean, unbelievable. We fly up and this is the first full day of our marriage. We fly up to the Gold Coast, we walk in the apartment, And we walk out because we wanted to make church that night. And in myself, I was like, something wrong. You ever have that feeling? You walk into a moment, you're like, something wrong. I I didn't mention anything. We went to church. It was great. We came home to this apartment. And I turned to Andrew and went, I don't know what it is. There's something wrong. And I'm not going to speculate too much about... Why there was something wrong, but I can tell you, in that moment there was there was a a blanket nearly in the atmosphere, something that wasn't just emotion, because the hardest thing we have in life is sometimes figuring out the difference between body, soul, and spirit, and not and realizing that these three elements of who we are are not just siloed elements. An attack in the spiritual realm will affect our emotional reality. A bodily attack or even just a wholly natural element will affect our emotional reality. It will sometimes affect the way we think. And so Ange and I kicked into gear and we flung open the windows and we started just praying through that that apartment and we we started praying for for revelation and discernment as to what might have been happening. And we, we, we stood against what could have been, can I tell you, a dark day on the first day of our marriage. There was a moment in which quietly and my wife talks about this that she thought this is a terrible way to start a marriage with a blanket of darkness a blanket of just that there's something icky going on here but in actual fact that battle that become present on our very first day has actually in many ways defined the rest of our marriage because we learnt in that moment to fight together that even though there might be things that we don't fully understand, that in the spirit, we can walk into places where others would, walk, would not walk. We can walk into places where we might otherwise live in intimidation, but we do not do so because we already follow the one has overcome. We follow the one who, who views the demonic and views the, the things of this world with, in one sense, the brokenness disdain because they are beneath his feet. Peter, in 1 uh, in Peter, uh, says this, and I, don't, I felt a bit weird approaching today, actually. Nick asked me what I was going to speak, and I'm like, oh, I felt torn, because I'm sure maybe you're already like, oh, where's this dude going to go, like... Is He going to go into spiritual warfare and is He going to tell me I have to stand on the top of a bell tower in the middle of town praying in tongues or something like that? The answer is no, but I don't know. If God told you to do it, um, whatever. Like God does a lot of weird stuff at times and it's only can I tell you, it only gets really weird when some people take that as a moment and turn it into a mandate. I remember talking to this lady and she was like, this is the way you... Are. I, I, can I tell you, I've got a background where I have stood at every entry to every town and chucked rocks and done all like... And do you know what? Most people, it's just something weird. But I've also stood in the midst of mosques in the most unreached nations in the world and felt God tell me to do slightly weird things. Not, not crazy weird, not yell out Jesus' name or anything like that. Mind you, I have a friend that came to Christ. His name is Muawas Muhammad. That has walked around at Hajj. I have a video of it. He's a nutcase, full on nutcase. He actually, he actually fought for ISIS or Daesh in Libya. He's Libyan, and he actually walked around the uh, the, the Kaaba with on his hand in Arabic. And I have pictures of it. Jesus saves, and he walks around this thing going, Hallelujah. Hall-. And I'm like, This is a recipe for death. <laughs> like, I've always joked with my wife that when she dies, I'm going pamphlet dropping me in Mecca. Like, it'll be the quickest way to end my life. But can I tell you, there's a real enemy. And we ignore him at our peril. As Western Christians, we have a tendency to lean to physical answers, to emotional intellectual solutions. And there's nothing wrong with recognizing that they are actually part of our experiences. We are body, soul, and spirit. I need to renew my mind so it is according to the word because there is a battle of the mind. I need to ensure that I rest and I follow biblical principles that affect and benefit my body. I need to ensure that my emotions are in line. But there is still a devil. There is still a battle going on. And in First Peter, it says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I don't want us to get caught here. I want us to recognize this and move on from that place in terms of intimidation. Because some people start to get a revelation of this and then they start to see demons under every rock. Like I, 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 was raised in a Pentecostal background, and I still have vague memories of people trying to cast out chocolate demons. And it's not a demon; it's just you. Like, just, just take responsibility. If you like chocolate, don't blame the devil. Just take responsibility. Like, there's moments where you're like, "Are you serious?" Like, I, I mean, I've, I've literally seen people try to, like, bind the, the, the stronghold of finger nail, like, nail finger, And I'm like, just stop. Can we... <clears throat> just stop." However, can I do, we do need to recognize there's a real enemy and if we live like there's not, he's already won. Jesus, as a matter of fact, I think focuses in one regard on our inability to handle the call of God without the Spirit of God because there is a real enemy. The Pharisees, of course, recognized the law. They recognized the nation of Israel as a physical reality. They recognized the elements that they could control. And because they could control it, they then tried to use that to control other people. And Jesus, and keep in mind, Jesus is God in flesh. Emmanuel, with them, says, it's better for me to leave. Better. I don't know if you ever had that moment where you're like, if only Jesus was here. And Jesus going, no, no, it's better I'm not. Because I will send the Spirit who will be your comforter. Now, I want you to pause for a second because I think we hear that phrase, comforter, which, of course, is paracletos. Like, it's also counsel. It's a defender. And we fail to recognize the reason we need a comforter is because God will lead you into place that, places that are fully uncomfortable. He will lead you into places where you're like, "No, no, 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 you said comfort, and He's like, no, no, I said comfort for... When the Spirit comes, He sends us. When the Spirit comes, He will lead us into places of incredible discomfort. And it says this in Luke 24, 46. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are to be witnesses of all these things. I'm going to send what my Father promised, but stay in that city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus also speaks of this in John 7. 37 when he says on the last day and greatest day of all the festival jesus stood and said in a loud voice let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said rivers of living water will flow from within them by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive up until that time the spirit had not been given since jesus had not yet been glorified there is a there is a life in the spirit There is a presence and a power and a purpose in living in the spirit that is even greater than having Jesus next to you in the flesh. And that's Jesus' argument. You know, the reality is we can live with good principles in our mind and that will benefit you. You can live a inverted commas moral life and you will find benefit in that reality because there are principles and practices. But if I'm not led by the spirit, can I tell you, I will operate according to the flesh. And sometimes it will sound like wisdom. In two weeks, my family gets on a plane and we move to Turkey. I have a friend that's been in jail for nearly two years a list was only released three days ago, which names 65 Christian leaders in Turkey, which are about to all be charged. Mostly American, some uh, quite a few Turks. And I had a friend ring me that day and said, "Josh, are you going?" And the answer is, unless God has changed His mind, which He doesn't tend to do, yes. Because if I'm led by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, then it's not to do with your circumstance. It's to do with His voice. It's to recognize that if He is my comforter, then I can walk into the places of darkness and discomfort and even discouragement, knowing that if I'm in Him, that if I'm in Christ, as one uh, Ephesians 1 tells us, then I am secure. You know, nine times in in 14 verses in uh, Ephesians 1, it says we are in Christ. We are chosen in Him constantly. Do you know why that matters? It, It means this. It's not about Christ coming into a little portion of your heart. It's about me being enveloped in who He is, in His identity. It means that if you are struggling with a health struggle, can I tell you, that doesn't define you. Christ is the one who defines you. You might be going through a marriage struggle this morning. Can I tell you, your definition is not defined by the health of your marriage, but can I tell you, when you redefine yourself according to His name, it will change your marriage. When my security is not in the the response of another person, but my security is in Christ, if He leads us into a place where everything could be lost, I'm okay with that. You know, the, the Christian life live like christ is to the flesh scary and crazy to the spirit exciting and enlivening you know this morning i want to just initially give you five ways you can know you're in the midst of a spiritual battle five ways and i don't normally do this i I nearly rebel against points on one level but sometimes you just have to do and the first is this you ready it's it's really dynamic you're a christian you know it's sometimes we're like have you ever noticed we're like I just feel like I'm in the midst of a spiritual battle. You always were. It's just that you've noticed that maybe the intensity has picked up, and I can tell you, I've walked into places where I know there's a battle going on. It's another level. But if I'm a believer, I'm in the midst of a battle. We either ignore it at our peril, and can I tell you, the kingdom's peril, or, and this is more scary, you're not a believer. Now, I don't mean this. If, if you believe that Jesus died, that he, rose on the, that he rose again, that you've genuinely put your faith in there, then you are saved. That's what Romans 10 tells us. But can I remind us that if we are a believer, we're in the midst of the battle. We are to take up a sword. We are to take up the breastplate of righteousness. We are to be prepared for a real battle. If you are a believer, then you're in the midst of the battle. It says this, and this is the crucial passage if you come with me to Ephesians 6. And it says this in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And pause there for a second. As I said, my family, uh, not next Sunday, but the next Sunday after that, we have our uh, one gathering, which is, so we have six churches in Canberra, uh, and every six or so weeks, we pull them together for one gathering. We have our one gathering, and then my family gets on a plane and goes to Turkey. Can I tell you, I love the Islamic world. If I see a man that is dressed up in Arab garb or a woman in hijab, not for a moment does it worry me. It excites me. I want you to pause this. Slow it up for a second. Because, can I tell you, Muslims are not the enemy. Atheists are not the enemy. Buddhists are not the enemy. The the guy down the street that might be uncomfortably pro-homosexuality is not your enemy in any way. There, there is a battle. Maybe my thing is wrapping here. There is a battle going on, and they are actually captured. You know, we walk into Turkey and there's 83 million people in Turkey right now. 83 million people and less than 5,000 believers. And I want you to consider this for a moment. Every time you open the New Testament, chances are if you're in the epistles, you're reading to or from a place in Turkey. Yet right now, there's less believers in Turkey per capita than nearly any nation in the world. There's more believers in Saudi Arabia. How bizarre is that? If you go to Saudi Arabia, you have more chance of coming across a believer than in Turkey, the nation within which we open the Bible. And we can, we can view these moments and view political enemies, in commas, as the, as the opposition or economic circumstances as the opposition. But can I tell you, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The enemy for YAS Baptist Church is not the council. I don't know whether you've ever had issues with the council. You might have. You built a building. Um, you, yeah, it's not the schools. It's not... It's not the stuff that it's easy to get your eyes on. We do not battle against flesh and blood. And if you can put a human name on it, they're not the enemy. And sometimes I've been caught up in that. Sometimes I have viewed people as the enemy. And I need to reframe my mindset and recognize they are part often of the collateral damage that has happened in the midst of a battle. I sat down with an imam in a mosque in West Bank. Um, can I tell you, there are moments when you realise that uh, some people don't agree with you. <laughs> I sat down with a guy called Ibrahim in, on the, the, on the uh, border of Syria. Daesh or ISIS was only a couple kilometres away. Twelve guys died two k's from us, two and a half k's from us. And I sat down with a guy called Ibrahim, and Ibrahim is talking to me, and he's talking in Arabic and Kurdish. I speak, okay, Turkish, but not Arabic or Kurdish. And they're translating it very slowly. And they're like, and he's speaking, he says, and this is the translation I get through. My dream has always been to kiss the back of a Christian's neck. And I'm like, that's sort of weird. Like, And then he's like, next sentence comes through, so my sword could touch that spot. And I'm like, cool, like. And then you have that moment where you're like, I am thankful that you came to Christ 18 months ago. But even if he held that sword, which I know he has oppressed Christian families, uh, I know that he participated in the actual likely killing of Islamic believers, uh, of believers from an Islamic background, he was never the enemy. And it's really important to recognize there is a real enemy. And we are in the midst of a real battle. But we need to readjust our sights. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So five signs you're in the midst of battle, in the midst of a spiritual battle. You are believer, number one. Number two, your perspective is defined by intimidation, not inspiration. I've said this before. I am surprised by the amount of people that go, but the government's bad in Turkey. And the answer is, but who cares? (laughs) See, if my language is defined by intimidation, then it's not a spirit thing because faith always moves us forward. It's not about circumstances. Intimidation makes me go, oh, yeah, just let's slow this baby up. But if I know that the spirit of God has led us, then we jump on the water. And can I tell you, this is not about self-confidence. Peter didn't walk on the water because he was impulsive. We often put it on that. He walked on the water because he called out to Jesus and said, call me out. And he obeyed the voice of Jesus. And so, can I tell you, jumping on water, rarely do you walk. Has anyone ever tried it? I have. I've legit sat on the side of so many pools and like, I still occasionally give it a go. No, never, It's never worked. Do you know why? <clears throat> Jesus has never asked me to do it. I'm, our family is going to Turkey two weeks. I'm not saying he's asking your family to go to Turkey. I, I had met Tim K a number of years ago, who was from here. Tim and uh, and his wife and family are doing like amazing stuff. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I see them. It's really cold over there. It's one of those moments where you're thankful that we still get sun here. But when God calls you, you do it. It's not about circumstance. If you're a believer, you're in the midst of the battle. If, if there is confusion, if there is uh, intimidation in your life, can I tell you, that's a sign that there's something wrong. And I'm not talking about alertness. We should be alert. That's what it says in 1 Peter. But I'm talking about alarm. Alarm is that moment when fear sets in. We're going to Turkey, I said, and I'm alert to the problems. I'm not alarmed in any way. What is the thing in your life that causes intimidation? Your language starts to speak in the terms of, I can't, I can't. And other people will back that up. You know, David, of course, faces Goliath and he's like, I've killed the lion, I've killed the bear. And Saul responds, well, you can't, essentially, without operating like I operate. Put on my my armor, put on my sort of stature. If God has called you, can I tell you, you can. I'm not saying it's always going to be pretty. The third element is there's confusion that clouds your vision. The devil is the author of confusion, lies of deceit. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this. Um, sorry, I'll skip that for a second. In John eight forty four, it says this. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks. And I love this phrase. He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. From the very beginning in Genesis, the devil speaks lies of deceit that are so close to truth, but lead them away. You can be like God. Have you ever noticed that often deceit doesn't start with an answer, it starts with a question, did God really say? I want you to think about even the discussions we at times have in the life of the church. And people are like, yeah, but did Jesus really mean it? The answer is, yep. Like there are a lot of things that we have to wrestle with, but it often starts with a seditious question that clouds our vision. That clouds our vision. Number four is there is a crippling condemnation that is consistently present. You know, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is specific and brings change. And don't mix up the two, because sometimes people try to call conviction condemnation. But conviction narrows down on an issue we need to deal with. We repent from it. We are freed from the, the, the penalty of that place. But condemnation lays upon you, and it usually is a shame-based thing. This might sound weird, but many years ago, I was about twenty twenty-one, 21, just before I got married, I went through a period of weeks where, and this sounds really funny to most people, I felt an incredible shame that I was born Caucasian. Like, literally, it, and it's going to sound weird. I love I the world. I, I love the Islamic world. I've taught in Islamic universities, in closed countries, and I felt this incredible shame that I'm just who I am. Matter of fact, I felt entirely unable to do what I felt God was starting to lead me to do. And in one sense, because... Faces like mine had done some pretty terrible things. But I can't repent of that. It actually led to an intimidation and a confusion. And can I tell you, it was deceit and lies. It was like, if I can't stop you through your weakness, I'll simply stop you through your identity. Sometimes we, we say, I can't do that. Well, I'm a mum. I'm can I tell you, God can do incredible things through mums. I look at the, the stature and the, the stance of my wife and look at the way she approaches. And we got four kids. Can I tell you, if you're a, as a family, do life on mission as a family. Often we have, like, mission or family. Don't, not mission or, mission and, mission as family. Because there is doors, can I tell you, mothers that are going to open to you, that have opened to you as a mother, that will never open to anyone else. It's not about doing more, it's about recognizing the kingdom of God comes in your moment when you allow it to be expressed. You know, there's things that you are called to do that sometimes will cause confusion or intimidation. Don't walk in that. The, The condemnation is cloudy. Don't mix the two elements up, conviction and condemnation. In Romans fourteen seventeen, 17, the, the Apostle Paul tells us that the kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace and joy. Does that sound like my walk? You ever had moments where, and they're beautiful moments, where everything swirls around you and you're like, I don't understand this, but I'm all good. We had a circumstance go down in our church in Canberra that honestly was not very good. It was pretty bad. And I met with my leadership team, and I'm, a strate- I'm fairly strategic. And so I tend to look at everything. I take a half step back, and I looked at everything nearly like a chessboard. And in my mind, immediately it just moves to, how do we move things, to shift things, to make it work so we can keep moving forward? And I woke up this next morning, and I felt God just go, Pause don't do anything, just trust me, I've got this one. And I sat down with my team and uh, the natural response is, what are we going to do? And it's very rarely a satisfying thing when you ask somebody who you're following, what are we going to do? And the answer is nothing. I don't know why, but I have an absolute peace that God's got this one. And we need to pause for a second and trust Him. And there'll be, there'll be language and there will be accusation that we're doing nothing. And the answer is, right now we're doing nothing because God is doing something. What's the thing you need to lean back into the peace? Because we often work ourselves into places of anxiety because we're not just living in the peace of the Holy Spirit. We're not living in the comfort of the Spirit and we worry and we lose sleep and a matter of fact, what, and you'll see it. I see it in my own family, in my own marriage at times. I see myself start to bicker with my wife. Maybe you're, you're a husband or a wife here. You've seen it happen. Those moments where you're arguing, over nothing. Steals your joy. Steals your peace. And you're like, what are we arguing about? And can I tell you, here, here's, here's the next, uh, I guess, element that I would say is a sign that there is division in your relationships. Do you know what the devil does when he comes into a place? He causes division because that's what he does. He will cause division in your family. He will cause division in a church. The devil is talking to Adam and Eve and before long, note they're like, the woman made me do it. But the man, blame game. Can I tell you, blame game is as a sign of immaturity. Might be confronting, but it is. And have I been immature? You want to bet. There's just division sets and you're not even sure why. Myself and my wife, we've got, gone through the period where we're getting ready to, I guess, leave our churches in Canberra by and large, even though we'll be connected. And there's been a real fight. I mean, in our family, over nothing. Those moments where, and part of it's natural. There's stress. I'm tired. I'm busy. But can I tell you, when there's opposition, I want you to look at these things. If there's opposition in your marriage. Certainly recognize the physical reality. Recognize the the emotional reality. But can I tell you there's an enemy that wants to destroy your marriage because your marriage is greatest when it fulfills its eternal purpose, and that's to declare an image of Christ and His bride. You know, the ultimate eternal purpose of my marriage isn't that I have the, the most satisfying human relationship. Don't get me wrong, it can be. It's that my marriage declares Christ. And his church. It's a place of love and of sacrifice, of eternal vision and mission. And so the devil looks at that and goes, if I can destroy that, I can destroy everything. I want you to think about this. If you're a Christian, you're in the midst of a spiritual battle. If there's intimidation in your life, and, it, you, I don't, and often it's irrational. If there's confusion in your vision... If there's division in your family or your church, can I tell you the devil's involved? And I don't mean him literally. The devil is not omnipresent. The devil is probably not scoping you and I out. Not wishing to be super negative. Like, I'm just saying, he's not omnipresent like the Holy Spirit. But the demonic is having effect. So I want us to slow this down for a second. And this might sound a bit funny because it sounds all negative. But let's slow this down because we can. This is what we do best as Christians: we get sympathetic. Have you noticed? If someone's going through something, we're like, "That's so bad. I'll pray for you. Maybe." (laughs) And we leave them? Like we're we're good at sympathy. But God never leaves us with sympathy alone. He actually leads us in, in tri- He leaves us in paths of wisdom, and this is what you should do, and this is the way you should respond. And I think we can sometimes be so like sloppy sympathy. It actually means nothing. I don't know if you've ever been in, in a situation where somebody's like, "Oh, that's so nice. I'll pray for you." And this is what we do. Can I tell you, I think we should stop this language. I will pray for you." That's stupid language. Can, is that a bit confronting? It's, "Let's pray. See, prayer is strategic, can I tell you? But let's not talk about prayer, let's pray. If someone's going through a struggle, then let's not talk about what we maybe should do. Let's actually do something. Like, And I think as Christians, we like to talk about what we should do. I'll pray for you, and let's be honest, we don't. And if you're on Facebook, you see people go praying. Can I tell you, without sounding too like skeptical, 9 out of 10 people are not praying. They're writing praying. Like, I, I wrote praying on a Facebook wall. I think that works. God must read the thread. Like, So what should we What should we do in these circumstances? Can I immediately just say, don't be sympathetic, be strategic, note the symptoms, note the symptoms, check the privilege, entitlement, entitlement is the language of immaturity. Note, note the language. Have you ever noticed in Western countries, we're like, oh, I just, I just feel God, I can't do this. And we've got brothers and sisters in other countries that are actually dying for their faith and Check the privilege for a second because it puts it in perspective. And thirdly, can I tell you, fix your stance. Therefore, he says, don't just tell people about it because this is, this is catharsis. I've got a problem, Abraham. It's, it's real bad. Okay, I can't feel good. Then we go away and then it comes back because I haven't dealt with it. And then we go around and we tell someone else, I've got this problem. Then we tell this problem. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and somebody tells everyone their problems through their words like... Or tell somebody else's problems. Usually, I, I've actually sat in a place where, like, dear God, I just pray for John. He's really struggling with lust. You are like, let's do something about it. Therefore, he sits. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, in to stand, stand firm therefore, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. A quick couple of quick questions that will help us position for battle. Is your mind filled with the truth of his word? Is my mind filled with the truth of his word or is it filled with something else? In the screw table letters, C.S. Lewis had a demon proclaim. It's funny how uh, mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by... Um, is, is uh, in reality our best work is done by keeping things out of it. See, what what is the truth of God's word? If you're in Christ, you're secure. You are loved. You are adored. You're a son or daughter of God. Your circumstances do not define us. And what we get in our mind is, if I don't perform, I'm in trouble. But can I tell you, we should do, but we should do out of our being, out of our security. I know I'm in Christ. I'm secure in that reality. I've sometimes been raised in a, an, even a church environment that calls me to perform as a pastor. There, there's a reason why there's so much burnout with pastors, can I tell you? Because sometimes you feel like you're a performer. I go to, to and I come from a Pentecostal background, I think we're often the worst. You go, I know many country pastors, particularly that'll go to pastors' conferences and they leave, away, leave more depressed than ever come to be encouraged and now I feel like I suck because what I see on stage is not my reality. But if we can get the truth of God's word into our mind and, you know, it was stressed really early, get the truth of God's word in your mind so your instinct is to respond with his word, not with the circumstance, not with what someone else has said. It goes on and says, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Can I tell you, if there is something wrong in your life, you still need to repent of it. I know plenty of people, and I, we don't do this in, a, in our church a great deal at all in Canberra, that when I was a youth pastor, they used to come and pray. And they were going through a struggle, and so they'd come to the front and get prayer. And then they'd go back, and the next week they'd come back to get prayer for the same thing. And then it was pretty much a ping-pong arrangement. And I actually dislike that. The reason being is I, I'm not the mediator between people and the Father. Jesus is. But the primary issue was that there was something to repent of. The breastplate of righteousness is something declared over us. But can I tell you, if I love Jesus, I will obey him. There are things that I need to set aside that, in a sense, are, are weak places in my life that open my life to, to places of brokenness. Number two question is that, have you, let down, um, have you let your guard down because of unrighteousness? Confess to God for forgiveness. Can I tell you, confess to others for healing. That's what John uh, uh, James 5 tells us. Confess your sins to one another and there will be healing. My confession to God is all about forgiveness. My confession to other people is about accountability. There are things that I'm forgiven of that I need to be open with others. It goes and says this, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Do we understand our position because of the gospel? Do, do we understand it? And by position, I don't mean I'm saved, but I'm called. In Deuteronomy six twenty-one, it says, and so he took them out from there, Egypt, so that he might take them in. See, God hasn't taken you out of slavery so you can just chill in the wilderness. Often we're saved out, but we're not yet walking in. And this is not a salvation issue, can I tell you, but it's a purpose issue. And can I tell you, in the wilderness, you pray and, and manna falls out of heaven. You pray a bit more and you whinge and you get quail. It's incredible. As a matter of fact, some of us actually think the wilderness is the promised land. But the promised land is full of walled cities and giants and intimidation, but we're called to that. It says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Is faith, and I I do mean this in positive expectation, or fear the defining atmosphere of my life. Take up the shield of faith because if I don't have the shield of faith, I will listen to the circumstances. They will be the defining reality of my life. I sat there and talked to this lady and she sent me a list of 65 people of whom I could, I know 15 of which. On that list i've got a friend in jail for nearly two years you might have even heard of him um, on christian radio and the like and i had a moment where i'm like i don't want to leave my kids without a father you know do you know what's even worse i had to sit with my wife two years ago when we spent time in the middle east and for an extended period and go am i willing to let my kids die and me live it's even harder i'm willing to die but i'm I'm willing to leave my children into a place where they could die. And the answer awkwardly is, yes. Now that's not my flesh responding. Can I tell you? As a father, I don't like saying that. But in faith, I know they are never more secure in a genuine sense than when they're walking in the middle of this, the, 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 the call of God. I'm not saying they're human security is at the forefront. But if faith is my shield, then nothing can affect it. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Is your security in staff, in circumstances or in Christ, it, that victory is always, already won in the cross. It says in Colossians 2.15, that having disarmed the powers and authority, Christ made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Is my security in that place? And maybe you're in the moment where you're facing a financial challenge. Can I tell you, pray for breakthrough, but it does not define you. It does not define you. Often we respond with the wrong response because our security is in the wrong place. We don't, we're not willing. I had friends who said, I would love, I, I feel called to do, go to missions, but we've got a house. And I'm like, and? No, but we would have to sell a house. And the answer is, yes. There's nothing wrong with owning a house, can I tell you. There's something wrong if the house owns you. There's nothing wrong with you get a raise at work and you get blessed in a financial way that is beyond imagination. There's nothing wrong with having money. There is a problem when money has you. There, There is a big problem when, can I tell you, as parents, sometimes our greatest idols are our children. And I mean that, I've got four children that I would die for. If it was all about their security, it wouldn't lead them to where God has called them to as well. We need to walk in where God has called us to. it says this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We talked about it earlier, but how's your swordsmanship? You know, one of the best things you can do is when the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door, is actually talk to them. Now, don't get me wrong; that annoys me no end. I led a friend who was Jehovah's Witness to Christ. But, do you know, I came, became more convicted in Orthodox Christian faith, in the deity of Jesus, in the cross and the resurrection, because I engage in such a way where I would have these discussions and then go, oh, they sort of half got me there. And I'd go back to the Word and I would up my swordsmanship and I would talk to my Father and I'd talk to men and women of faith around me that knew the Word better than me. Do you know, discipleship happens when you follow, not when you're followed up. You know, sometimes people are like, I don't know the answer. Can I tell you, you've got great leadership around you. Follow them. It might sound a bit... Sometimes we put all the emphasis on leadership that they follow up. And that's fine when you're immature. But if I have to follow up my 12-year-old all the time to do a job he's called to do, he will soon be disciplined. And I mean that, and hear my heart in this. Now, my 5-year-old, she's a 5-year-old. I treat her like a 5-year-old. She's the fourth as well, so she thinks she is the centre of the world. Like, I mean, she, we, had a, we had family photos the other day, and I, I sometimes wonder where she got it from. Like, I mean, there is, there is that, ugh, you know, when a little kid's cheeky, but they push the lines. She is sitting there on this chair like she is like a full-on model. And part of me is like, oh, dear, that better be gone by the time you're 12. Like, <laughs> when you're five, it's fine. You're six, we're all good, Seven come on back off a little bit but you know she's absolutely secure in who she is there's something beautiful about this place where my security is not in my circumstance but it's found in christ it's found in his word and it says this and praying in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests now i do believe in part that this is talking about things like tongues i do i do first corinthians 14 talks about praying in the spirit but it's not it's not just that it says, and with all kinds of prayers and requests. To pray in the Spirit is not to just pray in, I guess, a, a tongue of heaven. It's actually to pray in the Spirit. It's to pray in such a way that I'm praying according to the kingdom of God. It's to pray according to His will. And I don't know if you know, noticed, but I tend to pray opposite to what Jesus said to His disciples. I pray somewhat broader, but, My Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. My kingdom come. My will in heaven, please. On earth. Like that 's the way like God, i 've got to have this problem. can you fix my problem? I rarely do my, is my natural fleshly instinct to go your will it 's actually to go, God, my will, my will, my will, my will, but when I pray according to his will, His will, His will, even when I walk through the valley i 'm secure, even when I, I sometimes am healed miraculously, and can I tell you i 've been healed? In such miraculous ways that it changed my life. And I've also faced moments where I've prayed and I've fasted for healing and it's not come in this moment. My father had a lady in a mother church in Kuma pray for him. My father had spurs on his spine, could hardly walk. Hands, bang, healed in the moment. She died six weeks later from cancer. Do I understand that? No. Do I trust the one who loved me so much that he would step out of eternity into my place, and as John 1 says, dwelt with us, (sighs) normally, sometimes I struggle. But here's the beautiful thing, and I want us to leave us with this. In in Matthew 28, 17, just before the Great Commission, it says, And they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus said... All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Have you noticed that Jesus gives a commission to doubters? My my statement is this morning. This really and it wraps it up. Is maybe you struggle with some of these things? Maybe you're still struggling with Christ. Maybe you're a bit unsure about this spiritual warfare thing. Maybe you're a bit unsure about all this stuff. Can I tell you? If you just choose to trust Jesus, you'll sort it out on the on the road. There's things I don't understand. There's things I, I don't understand at all. You know, you do Bible college and you think, oh, I'm going to go to Bible college, I'm going to learn all this stuff, and then I'll have all the answers. Go to college, and then you realize, oh dear, this is bigger than I ever imagined. Where do I start? I started a church, and for many years, I was like, no, when I've got this down, then I'll, be, I'll have it. And then there would be moments where I would sit outside, and we... We went through a period, we planted four churches in five and a half years. I mean, anything we'd put our hands on, it seemed to turn to gold. And then it didn't. And so things went really bad for just a little while. Not, not of our fault, but things happened. And I would sit outside, I actually sat outside um, of my home about to go into one of our churches about 15 minutes later and cried. And I was just like, God, I can't do this. I felt inadequate, I felt intimidated and then I remembered that Christ is with me, that I am His Son, that I am called to this and even though I struggle sometimes, He's got me entirely. And I don't know where you are but I know this much, if you're in Christ, you are His Son, you are His daughter and even if you have doubts, your security is not in what you know, it's in who you know. If there are circumstances around you, if there are circumstances in you that is causing division in your, in your family, that is causing cloudiness in your vision, then can, I encourage you, recognize, number one, that there is a real battle going on. But number two, He's given us the armor. We don't need to sit by wondering. Take up the, the helmet of salvation. Take up the breastplate of righteousness. Ensure that your feet are shod with the gospel of take up that sword his word and go to battle because you are not called to be intimidated you are not called to be confused you are called to operate like a son or daughter of God that is not intimidated by the devil himself and it doesn't matter if you doubt in moments his call is still upon you and his commission will be the place where you find bizarrely enough your comfort let's pray God, I thank you that you're good. And we know circumstances, <clears throat> they, can, they can suck. You know, I, I could pretty it up, but sometimes they're not great. But you are. And so, this morning, we recognize that reality. We recognize that there is an enemy that prowls around that his intent is to devour, is to destroy, is to distract. There, there are things that would cause depression in our hearts, that would cause distraction from your call. But Lord, we, we, don't, we don't put our eyes on that. Lord, we set our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, this morning, Lord, I pray that even if we are going through doubt, if we are going through struggle or division in our life in some way, Lord, I pray that we would, in a fresh regard, set our eyes on you. Lord, you are our healer. Lord, you are our salvation. Lord, you are our provider. Lord, you are the one that has set us in a secure place. And Lord, Lord, we set aside those doubts, not because they don't matter, but because you matter more. Lord, we set aside those distractions, Lord, those struggles, because it's not like they don't matter, Lord. It's just that when we find our place in You, they have no bearing on our identity and our direction. And Lord, this morning, I just pray afresh for people this morning. Lord, if there's people that sometimes know that there is is division in their family that is just, just unusual. Lord, I pray that they would take a stand knowing that you bring unity. Lord, for those facing, Lord, uh, struggles or health issues, Lord, we pray that, Lord, we would believe for healing, but even more so, Lord, we would recognize that our security is not found even in an answer to a prayer. It's found in the fact that you are our answer in everything. Lord, we thank you that you have called us, you have set us apart. Lord this morning we recognise that there is a spiritual battle going on but we recognise that there is one who is greater there is one who spoke the very world into existence and so if you can speak the whole world into existence you can speak into our existence you can speak into our Mondays into our Sundays, into every moment and you can bring life afresh you can bring life Because, Lord, we can't do this without you. No amount of learning can do that. But, Lord, we do. We do pray that your Spirit would fall afresh on us. Lord, your Spirit would fall afresh on us this morning and that you would have your way in us. In your precious name, amen.